Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, welcome back to the Penn State Blitz podcast. I'm Bob Flounders. Next to me, as always, dressed in black like Johnny Cash. You can't see that. It's Greg Pickle. Greg, we got a great show. I'm almost positive we have a great show. It's a big week. I, I've been wrong before, but we got a lot to get to. It's the whiteout weekend. Penn State, Michigan in prime time at Beaver Stadium. Another big test for Penn State. Unbeaten Penn State. They survived at Iowa last weekend. Got some big plays late. We're going to talk about the challenge that awaits. We're going to talk about some of the coaching matchups in the Penn State-Michigan game. We have uh, veteran uh, Penn State defense coordinator Brent Pry against former Penn State assistant Josh Gaddis, the Michigan OC. We also have another veteran defensive coordinator, Michigan's Don Brown, going against Ricky Ronnie, James Franklin's guy. We're going to look at a couple young, uh, talented Lions, put them in focus. One of them is Noah Kane, everyone's favorite. The other one is young wideout Justin Shorter, really hasn't gotten established yet. And then, of course, we're going to close with the Penn State mailbag. And that also means I think at some point there's going to be some of your predictions coming. So let's just get to it. Let's do it. Okay, Penn State, Michigan, Greg. It's finally here. I think the fan base is stoked. The tents were out early. The students are jazzed up. It's a whiteout. It's going to be at night. The worries about the day game. It's, it's not, unfounded. It's unfounded. <laughs> they are unfounded. Penn State is 7-0, and number seven in the country. Moved up quite a few spots after the win at Iowa, 17-12. to Big test they passed on the road. Kinnick Stadium is not easy to get a win in. And now we're going to talk about maybe how hard is it going to be for Michigan to come into the Beaver Stadium whiteout atmosphere like they did two years ago and didn't do well. How big of a test is this for Penn State, but also how big of a test is it for Michigan? Yeah, I think that when you look at this game, Penn State already passed one test, and that's the Iowa win on the road. And if you look back over how Penn State's fared when it's played Michigan before, it hasn't always had that first test. I guess you could make the argument that Pitt has been some years, but this is a team that's now gone on the road twice before it hits Michigan, before it hits Michigan State, before it hits Ohio State. And I don't think you can undersell that fact and what it means for this program now to go home. And face a Michigan team that one week when it's playing Rutgers or, uh, you know, looks like a top-notch team. And then one week when it's playing a a little bit better of an opponent, looks like it can't figure out what it wants to be on offense. If it wants to be uh, the hardball power football or the Gattis spread up-tempo Moorhead-like offense. So most years when we look at this game, we've always called it a test, a bigger test for Penn State. And I think you make a perfect point. This is a bigger test for Michigan, I think. And then, you know, for a Penn State team that's very young, I think it carries itself in a way that maybe last year's and even the 27 team didn't. These guys just seem loose, Bob. Yeah. They seem like they're confident. They have fun. And they don't do things that, you know, lead you to something like we've seen with the Michigan State losses in past years. And maybe not the Michigan losses either. So... There's a maturity about this group, and I think it's as much, if not more, of a test for Michigan than it is for Penn State as they both try and stay alive in the Big Ten East race. So before we get to some of the coaching matchups and some of the Penn State young players uh, that we teased at the top, do you think the Penn State fan base understands just what a challenging and amazing weekend 
uh, this past week was yeah. for James Franklin and the program. If you really just take a big step back and look at it at the start of the week, you know, how Penn State and James Franklin handled the fan letter to Jonathan Sutherland, how the teammates rallied around Jonathan Sutherland. James's statement became a national story. It could have been a distraction and it wasn't. They didn't allow it to become a distraction. Right. And then you have the game itself. I, I think that most people, most neutral observers would say Penn State really probably did not get some great officiating in that game. There was an overturned touchdown in that game that looked like it was going to be huge. It sure looked like Pat Fryermuth scored. They overturned the play, mm-hmm. put the ball inside the one. Penn State has to settle for a field goal in the second half. They still got it together. They got a late touchdown, uh, and then they held off Iowa. Uh, that was not an easy thing to kind of overcome no. in itself. And then finally, you know, James Franklin, six years at Penn State, finally gets his first road win against a top 25 team. In a lot of ways, this might have been his best week and the program's best week. And I know they won the Big Ten title in 2016. Everything, they, all the challenges they faced, Greg, that week, I think it was huge. Yeah, I think that was the defining mark of the Franklin era at this point. And, you know, I was listening to uh, Pat Forty on the Decent channel on the way in here, and he made a, they were asking about the USC opening, and of course Franklin's been linked to that by Forty and others. And he made an interesting note when he said that, well, Penn State's maybe already trying to work on securing James Franklin, and, that, and that's here nor there. We'll get into all that silly stuff much further down the road. Can't it's wait. only the middle Can't of October, wait. but... This a week like that is why. I mean, it, it, to go on the road yeah. to put all of the things that could have came between a team and a victory really in the rearview mirror and close out a game. That's what I was getting at about the majority of this mm-hmm. team. They didn't let any of that stuff stand in their way. The Big Ten hasn't commented on that just for the news sake of it. Has not, will not comment on the reversal. Yeah. I think they had a conversation with James, and I don't think James really. Well, got a I, chance to hear what he wanted to hear. I, he, yeah, and he's not going to tell us yeah. because I don't know if you saw, but Texas Tech came out and said the Big 12 blew a call in that game, and then the Big 12 turned around and fined the AD <laughs> for coming out and saying that. So when James Franklin said he didn't want to discuss it, you now know why. But yeah, I, it was a defining week for them, yeah. and there's more defining weeks to come. But to go on the road and win that game is something that I don't know if they would have done right I, sure. last year, two years ago. Early I just, in his career. Right. Absolutely. I mean, 20, yeah, 14. I, I don't know if that's a game they find a way to win. They rely on Noah Kane. They rely on the, the foreman of the offense finally works. How many postgame news conferences have we sat in and heard him say, you know, we just haven't been able to enforce yeah. our will in the four-minute offense. They did. They won the game. Yeah. Now, as far as the Michigan game, which is what everyone probably really wants to focus on now, a lot of great uh, players in this game on both sides, a lot of great player matchups. Mm-hmm. But when you really look at this game, it might be the coaching matchups um, that really go a long yeah. way towards determining it. And it's not really Harbaugh and Franklin that we're talking about. Let's, let's just start. There, there's two, I think, that are going to go a long way towards maybe – uh, having a large say in this game. The first one is, is uh, you know, Penn State the veteran defensive coordinator Brent Pry uh, is going up against the Michigan OC, and that's Josh Gaddis. Now, when Joe Moorhead left Penn State after the 2017 regular season finale at Maryland and went to Mississippi State, Franklin had a, a choice to make. Who was going to be the OC, the successor to Moorhead? Now, Ricky Ronnie did it on a short-term basis after he got rid of John Donovan in 2015. So that seemed to be probably the way he was going to head. And he did. He, he made Ricky Ronnie the choice. And I think Josh Gaddis, you know, saw the writing on the wall. If he right. wanted to ascend and take the next couple of steps in his coaching career, it wasn't going to be at Penn State. If he ever wanted right. to be an OC, he was never going to leapfrog Ricky Ronnie. So he goes to Alabama soon after Moorhead leaves, spends a year there. 
And then Jim Harbaugh decides to hire him over the phone to become the Michigan OC and run right. a version of the Penn State Moorhead RPO spread. So now the question is, how well do you think Penn State knows what Gaddis wants to do? But how much does Gaddis kind of know Penn State's defense? Well, and that's the fascinating part of it is that it, when they have those inter-squad scrimmages, be it the blue-white game, be it in-season scrimmages or summer camp scrimmages, whatever – you know, I'm sure Ricky Ronnie and Josh Gaddis both got turns calling plays against the yep. first team defense with the second or third string offense. So they kind of have a feel for each other in that regard. Obviously, Josh was around Brent and James Franklin for what? I mean, three yeah, or four years. And, yeah, right. Vanderbilt. So, I, I mean, the, he knows the tricks. He knows what mm-hmm. pr- they do. Um, so it's up to those guys to come up with some thing. By the way, we didn't hear James Franklin mention changing signals, you know. With, with <laughs> That's John, funny. It's John, funny how that yeah, goes. It's funny yeah. how that went away. But anyway, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that it's, it's a matchup. That's fa- it's yeah. going to decide the game. I mean, how Ricky Ronnie saw mm-hmm. Don Brown had all the answers for Ricky Ronnie mm-hmm. last year at the big house. Um, but this series of late has been a home team dominated series. So will that continue? What wrinkles will Michigan and Gaddis throw at Brent Pry? But more importantly, what does Ricky Ronnie have in store for this Michigan defense? It maybe showed a significant weakness against Wisconsin when the Badgers just steamrolled them over and over again. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Michigan's schedule, they only have one loss. They come in off a road win at Illinois. They're up to, I think, 28 nothing at one yep. point. It got to be 28 25. They pulled away with the last 17 points if i recall correctly illinois plus 21 was a part of the prediction <laughs> segment last week bob yeah we're gonna get to that don't worry <laughs> listen mr Rutgers. we're gonna get to it um but when you look at michigan's schedule they scored 14 points on the road mm-hmm. at wisconsin i think they were down 35 nothing yes or close to i believe i picked them that yeah, way. yeah yeah so that take that Michael. um also life or death versus army mm-hmm. at home and they didn't score very many points in that game <clears throat> and then they just won a defensive slugfest against iowa scored 10 points but iowa only scored three probably because of nate stanley who we kind of told you guys about um anyway it's a uh, but so you just wonder now you, now so so now josh has got to try and figure out a way to to function in the noise with success in the whiteout against the penn state defense that's given up 49 points in six games one rushing touchdown in six games michigan has 14 something's going to give there um i think it's i think i think it's a lot to ask uh, of of Josh and this offense, they do have some talent, but the the writing might be on the wall. I, I don't know how many points they're going to be able to score in this atmosphere. That obviously is a huge matchup. And you mentioned Don Brown and Ricky Ronnie. Don Brown did a great job uh, in in the game. Uh, last year mm-hmm. in Ann Arbor, 42-7, um, very decisive. They ran the ball. Michigan ran the ball. But the other key, and this is the one thing James Franklin talked about, is when Don Brown is calling plays, he's going to blitz. Right. He said they're 45% pressure. So that means roughly half the plays, Penn State's going to see some kind of a blitz, whether it's a zone blitz or they're going to overload one side. So it's going to really be on the offensive line and Ricky Ronnie to have a scheme to kind of handle that because they can't have guys coming free at Sean Clifford. And I think Clifford's in the spotlight this week, too, for that yeah. very reason. He can't miss the easy throws like we saw early at Iowa. He's got to calm down. He, yeah, he Maybe can't, switch to decaf. Yeah, He's just he too fired up at the start of games. Right. I mean, he, everyone loved that pregame speech where he was firing up the guys before he came out on the field for warm-ups, and that was great. But yeah, At least it was empty also, possessions early in the game. It was also a sign of what was to come when you go back and think about it because he was so amped up for that speech that it carried over to the field. And then it's, you know, it's Mr. O'High, it's Mr. O'Low, yeah. it's Mr. Wide Open Guy. And... 
you know, they got away with it. You're not going to get away with it every week. Right. And if you let Michigan hang around long right. enough, uh, just like the Iowa game, they can maybe jump up and bite you at the end. You got to have it more like the pit game where you jump on their throat early, never give them a chance to hang around. And uh, you're right. The protection will be key. Rasheed Walker was terrific. I think we both agree with dealing it's with very solid, yeah. very solid. And they will need another performance like that this week, as well as the guys across the board. So you mentioned Rashid Walker, so that's going to lead us right in to our next little segment. You didn't even know you did it. Before uh, third down, though, we got to remember all of the plugs to give. You broke, you broke my rhythm, but it was worth it. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, so don't forget to like, rate, or subscribe, depending on where you're listening. Bob, the Penn Live Penn State Blitz podcast comes out every Thursday. If you're subscribed, mm-hmm. you can get it on Wednesday, a day early. So subscribe. So subscribe, right. That's exactly it. Don't forget to give us some feedback, some comments. And if you are looking for uh, the video version, you can get that at Penn live.com slash all Penn State. We will be right back with more after this. And welcome back. Third down. Anyway, Rashid Walker, young player. Mm-hmm. Just talked about him. Let's talk about two more Penn State young players who are well, one's been doing very well. The other one has yet to really get established. Let's talk to let's talk about the one that really I think everyone in the Penn State fan base is excited about. We've yep. been talking about him for a while. Noah Kane, the true freshman January enrollee, second straight 100-yard game, uh, 102 yards on 22 carries yep. against Iowa. Not an easy defense to, to run on, especially at Kinnick Stadium. Entered the game early, but he was still part of a rotation. And maybe it was scaled back, but everyone played. In the fourth quarter when Penn State needed to have a drive, they're up 10-6 after the Friermuth overturn. They settled for a field goal up 10-6. Uh, he's in the game, and they, they go down the field. Yep. Uh, Clifford and Kane both carry. Kane finishes the drive, five-yard touchdown. But more important, Greg, what you talked about, the four-minute offense, when it's time to close out the game, when you have a lead and the other team knows you're going to run the ball, they finally were able to do it. Three straight runs for Kane, got 12 yards. Iowa had to burn all their timeouts, and that was really the game. They were able to run out the clock. James talked about it Tuesday. It's really the first time in his six years at Penn State they were able to do it against a pretty talented opponent. Right. They've done it against some lesser foes, but this was the first time they went out. And, I mean, that Iowa front, we talked about it all week, was a problem. And they defended, you know, I thought two of the three sacks were on Clifford, and they didn't have that many negative runs. And then you put Kane out there with 245 to play, 250. Yeah, it's like 232 or something like that. Um, And he just, you know, five yards or seven yards, five yards, five yards to seal the deal. Seven yards, no yards, five yards. It was third and three. Pay attention, Greg. That's why I'm here. Yeah, so you've set him up for success. Now, that third down run, he did a lot of the work. Oh, yeah. The offensive line obviously helped get to that point. I think those guys have a little bit. For whatever reason, I mean, we're not telling – the, the fans what they don't know sure. but when the game canes in the game things tend to go a little bit smoother the blocks seem to be a little bit cleaner the passing plays seem right. to be a little bit more execute i know they're going to continue to play the three other guys and i get that but um I, I thought james franklin's point after the game was well taken too that they only had like four possessions in the first mm-hmm. uh, like you know 42 minutes of the game so yeah you can say why didn't they play Kane more early but if their plan was to rotate all those guys in and you only have four possessions there you have it so we'll see what they do this week but he's clearly um a guy who's emerged and mm-hmm. i think another guy that hasn't is justin shorter and james had an interesting comment about him on tuesday saying that well he's been hurt he's missed games yada yada the question i think bob is 
when is this guy going to emerge? Because he had a lot of expectations when he got here. Yeah, and and he he has been hurt. He got he got a helmet to helmet hit in the Maryland game. Right. Uh, I think mid, Purdue. about midway through the game had to come out. Didn't didn't return. Didn't play against Purdue. Um, you know, I think he had one catch against Iowa, but like you said, they didn't really throw the ball with great success against Iowa. It's just a tough environment to function between the noise and the defense and the schemes. But yeah, this is now his second year. We're halfway through his second year. He did redshirt in year one, in part because he had an injury earlier that he dealt with. Um, you know, Trace McSworley talked about him making progress during December in the lead up to the to the uh, Citrus Bowl. But yeah, he was uh, viewed as a five star recruit in the same class with Micah and Ricky Slade. Um, and we kind of thought by now we'd be talking about him a lot more. It is interesting to note, and every player is different. But when you look at some of the big receivers that James Franklin has pulled out of New Jersey, that are either four or five stars. Justin Shorter's one. Uh, Say Blacknell is another. Irv Charles is another. Juwan Johnson is another. They all tantalizing talents. You saw Saeed Blacknell go off in the Big Ten Championship game, but that was kind of it. Irv Charles made that catch in the Minnesota game that really went a long way towards maybe saving that Penn State season. They were in big trouble in that game. And it's just been, you know, Juwan Johnson's had, you know, the catch at Iowa. Right. You know, but it's it's never really carried over. I don't know if it's a coincidence. And I know that Justin Shorter is a talented player. He looks, when you see him on the practice field or when you see him during the interview sessions, he looks almost like an NFL receiver already. Yep. Good health is 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 not promised to anyone. But at some point, he's going to have to be able to get, you're, we're going to have to see a stretch where he can play three or four games in a row and make plays in all four of those games. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. So, I, I you know, you look at, and you know, Jersey thing is certainly a fascinating angle. I don't know. I I just I'm. It could hard, just be a coincidence. Hard pressed but, to say it's anything but a coincidence. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just you know confusing that that would continue to be the case because all those guys look like sure. world rock stars walking off, and maybe not as much to show for it as as we expected. They yeah. And having said all of that, you know. Maybe all Justin needs is one breakout game to give him confidence, gain the trust of Sean Clifford. He needs the Chris Godwin pinstripe ball. He needs he, – that's a very – that's great. That's good. I remember that game. I thought they were going to lose, and he had like seven catches yeah. for 140 yards. It was, he was incredible. And now look now, at him. Now he's a guy he's, is a he's, star. Yeah, yeah, he's a star in the NFL. You're right. He he probably needs a game like that. But they, they do have other options if he's not – you know, if he's not healthy. Dan Chisena, uh, is one Daniel George is another. They didn't get a lot of chances in the passing game. I'm not sure they're going to get a lot of chan- uh, chances in the passing game against Michigan. But at some point, I think we're going to need to see Justin Shorter take at least one major step forward in the final in the second half of this season. Absolutely. All right, mailbag time. It, it's it's mailbag time. We're sailing along. We covered I think most of the topics we promised the viewers and the listeners that we we were going to cover. So there's only one thing left, and then we're going to make some picks. So there'll be some heckling. But yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about the whiteout with some of the mailbag questions. I think you got two for me. I got one for you. What concerns you most going into this weekend? Is it uh, the defensive holding and some of the plays in the secondary that's been a problem? Or is it the passing offense not being able to consistently sustain itself through six weeks? I don't really know. Yeah, I don't really know that there's a lot of concerns in this game because they're at home. And this is such a like I think I said last week, I think I think Beaver Stadium is worth about 10 points. Yeah, especially well, take in the out this game then just after six yeah. weeks. Which of those things? Yeah, it, you it is Sean Clifford being able to settle down early in games, because like you said, look at who they, they got. They got Michigan State on the road coming up. But that's a good defense. Ohio State's, you know, 
on the road, way down the line. But empty possessions, you just can't afford to have them based upon emotion. I think he's going to get better at it. And he did he did settle down nicely in the Iowa game, made some big plays, he, the touchdown pass to Hamler, and, and that third and 10 run where he ran for 11 yards. But it's just, you know, Penn State's defense is playing at such a high rate, and they've only given up three first quarter points. If they can just, if he can just start nicely, settle down, you know, if they can get up 10 nothing on on this Michigan team, that's, that's a lot. Right. To overcome in this environment. To me, that's the concern. Just not, no empty possessions early in games. Just like to see him just relax a little bit. They get up to a fast start on offense. They're going to be really tough to beat. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Do you think John O'Neill should ever referee a Penn State game again? Yes or no? No, I don't think he should. There's no proof that, that he's, he's, he's got anything against Penn State. But when the things keep happening when he's in the games, that's right. enough for me to say, hey, let's err on the side of caution and maybe have him do, you know, the Rutgers-Maryland game. And when Penn State plays Ohio State, they can have anyone else. Because I think, can you just imagine the next big game Penn State's in when the fans find out on social media that he's the, he's the head referee? It's just going to be... It's going to be upheaval, Greg. I agree with our colleague Dave Jones. Did you what you just said? Did I? You have to show me hard evidence to make me think anything but incompetence. Like uh, I lean incompetence more than conspiracy. I really do. But um, I I agree with you. I, you'll never. I don't think you'll ever be able to prove that a referee is attempting to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mess up one team or the other, but uh, you're right. I mean, there's too many examples now to just, and, you know, to, to make you wonder. I don't know how the Big Ten handles that because they don't discuss it. We'll find out next July. Uh, you're, in uh, Chicago. You're, I was just getting ready to say, how excited are you for next <laughs> July before Arlington Park when Bill Carolla has his weekly, like it's <laughs> yeah. an hour, and yes. you can ask him anything. You can right. ask him who assassinated Kennedy, <laughs> and he'll talk, he'll talk to it, you yeah. for like 25 <laughs> minutes on it. He, he mentioned the FBI uh, over, over the summer. Well, he said he's very were, passionate he about said, about officiating. I ought to dig that quote up when he said that if there was any yes. concerns of impropriety to have the FBI investigate. I, I can't wait. I'm going to take video of you asking him questions <laughs> about O'Neill because I bet you he talks about him for like 15 minutes. Everyone's going to forget but us. Hopefully no one else is, is listening or, or watching this right now. But we're, we're not going to ambush him because he likes to talk. Right. But we're definitely going to have a one-on-one with that guy about Mr. O'Neill. It's going to be great. Yes. All right. My question for you is, James Frank, was talking about how much uh, recruiting is impacted by Penn State and, and whiteout games, and especially when they win, but also the atmosphere. It, it's just unbelievable. There's a lot of time and effort that go into hosting recruit on a weekend like this because there's just not a lot of time in the day for Franklin and his coaching staff you know, to, to kind of spend with recruits. It's right. really a challenge. But I think Steven Gonzalez and, and Franklin were talking about it this week. If you can have a whiteout game and you can get a really good kid to a whiteout game, he said it's pretty hard to it's pretty hard for that kid to turn down Penn State if you can get him there and he likes what he sees. Do you have an idea who, who might be at the game? And also, do you think, do you agree with Franklin? Is the whiteout game yeah. close to, and they're, they're not going to get them all, but it, it, is it that tough to say no after you've, if you're a recruit and you've been to a Penn it's State whiteout game? It's tougher than what he insinuated. I mean, there have been a lot of talented guys come to these. It's the best, if you're a major recruit like Theo Johnson, the four-star tight end from Canada who's down to Georgia, he was actually at the Iowa game to see Penn State win. He's down to Penn State, Georgia, Iowa, maybe a couple other schools. But if you're, you're he, that kid's going to go to every school's 
quote-unquote whiteout game, if that makes sense. I mean, he's going to see Georgia's biggest game. He's going to see – or he did see Iowa's biggest game at home. I mean, he's going to see all – and these kids that come to these games, like the 2021 five-stars that will be there. Johnson's the biggest 2020 visitor. There will be some star 2021, 2022 kids there. The ones that are the top of the list that you have to get to compete and continue to compete with the Clemsons and Alabamas and Ohio States of the world, the Micah Parsons of the world – is what we're getting at here. They're going to see all the big games. They're going to see all the whiteout-like environments. So it's a big um, part of it for sure, but it's not an end-all be-all. That said, uh, we'll have something on Penn Live later this week looking at their success of uh, visitors to commitments. It is pretty good. He's not lying about that, but it, I think he overplayed it just a tad, which is fine. He could do that. In terms of this week, the noon kick that was feared would have been disastrous. Yeah. I mean, you just can't. It's a tough place to get to for 730. For noon, you might as well forget about it with guys that play Friday night, have film sessions Saturday morning. It's practically impossible. So 730 is perfect. The kids can't go to the game day set, but they can wander around campus, the parking lots, and then, of course, be in the stadium for the game. So big weekend on tap for Penn State recruiting. I don't think it's going to lead to any immediate commitments. It could, though. James Franklin's been known to pull out some commitments during uh, big weeks. But if it doesn't lead to any this weekend, Bob, it will lead to some down the road. Okay, just real quick to sum up what we talked about. Penn State, Michigan, Saturday night at Beaver Stadium. Must-see viewing. Greg Pickle, Bill Corolla, next July, Big Ten Media Days, must-see viewing for Bob Flounders. That's basically how I viewed what just happened for the last 20 or 25 minutes. Time for picks and predictions if you're listening on the podcast. Greg, Penn State, Michigan, what's the line? Eight, seven and a half? It keeps going. It's been up to eight. I wonder if it'll get to eight and a half and get balled back down to seven. I could see this one bouncing around a bit. Totals near 50, I believe. Yeah, that sounds about right. If you look at the last three games, 42-7 last year, 42-13 at Beaver Stadium in 2017, 49-10 you know, in Ann Arbor in 2016, a watershed game for Penn State. That was a big moment for them, the way they responded, because it looked like the sky was falling. It wasn't. They won the Big Ten title. Greg, we're going to say it's seven and a half just okay. for the heck of it. I can't wait to hear your pick and what you think maybe you're going to be some of the keys. Yeah, so you point out that that was a big week in 2016 for the Penn State program. We also talked earlier that Iowa and the way Penn State handled that entire yes. week, that road trip, the in-game adversity, that's, I think, a moment that can be looked at as on the same level potentially. So. To me, I think this Penn State team took a huge step forward at Iowa. Was it the prettiest win? No. Um, did they win the way they usually do? No. And sometimes you're going to have to do that. This week strikes me as a week that might be more uh, closely aligned with how they want to win games. Maybe not exactly how they tend to do it. Mm-hmm. But I just think Penn State has too many matchup advantages in this game for it to be close at the end. Mm-hmm. I have it Penn State 27, Michigan 14. I just don't see enough offense from Michigan to keep this uh, a contest for all four quarters. Conversely, I've picked Penn State a little bit higher on the scoring total some weeks. And until we see Sean Clifford slow down early on Mm -hmm. and get this offense rolling consistently against good teams in the first half, it's going to be tough to pick those big scoring margins. It won't shock me if Penn State puts up 45 or 50, 27-14 though in the end. Yeah, I'm kind of with you, almost exactly with the same score. Uh, 27-10, 
uh, Penn State. I think Penn State's speed and depth on defense. I know that Michigan's got a pretty good defense. I think that's going to be a factor. Um, the the emergence of Windsor and P.J. Mustafer inside to go with Shaka Tony and Etor outside. Robert Windsor was a wild man in Iowa City. He, he absolutely took over that game. He is a big dude. P.J. Mustafer also had a huge play with the tackle for loss and the, and the, uh, the fumble. Uh, forced fumble. Yep. Two big plays in the game. It bodes very well for Penn State's defense that these two guys are now in sync almost with what's going on on the outside. This is a good defense. Um, I think they're going to continue to be a good defense. The environment's only going to help them. Only allowed one rushing touchdown all year, three points in the first quarter. I'm with you. Clifford's got to calm down. I think eventually he will. I'm not sure if it's it's going to be hard to not be excited about this game. And I just think maybe the one thing that puts Penn State over the top is if Blake Gillikin is going to perform the way that he performed against Iowa when right. he was a standout Big Ten special teams player of the week. If they can control field position with Jordan Stout and Gillikin and force Michigan to go 90 yards on almost every possession, it's a wrap. There's right. just It's just not going to happen. Penn State's been good at protecting the football. Too many things are trending in Penn State's favor for me to see Mich- Michigan rising up and coming up with a plan where they can score 24 to 28 points and possibly beat Penn State. I just think they're a little bit too one-dimensional. And I think that, uh, you know, when you saw their struggle on offense against Army and Iowa and Wisconsin, I think it bodes very well for Penn State at home. I think they're going to be in control of this this game, Greg. Um, And I'll be real interested to see, you know, if they can win this game, just kind of if they can keep momentum going because the third team they're going to have to face if they would win this would be at Michigan State. And that's been a problem for them. 27 to 10, I call it. You say 27 14. Yep. Sounds good to me. Hopefully, we're both going to hit the under. I think we were pretty good last week. Yeah. You saw, you saw a lot of points, but we both kind of felt like uh, Nate Stanley couldn't beat Penn State. He couldn't. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that, that Michigan's offense can do it either. 